So I just got back from New York City, Greg. And we stayed on Bowery Street. It's Chinatown. Okay. The oldest street in New York City. Hmm. And so I walked the length of this street maybe a couple of times. Uh, I like to walk New York City, even if it's like an hour walk. There's just lots to see. And um, I like a sort of... It's a great walking city. Yeah, sort of slow. Even though it's massive, it is a good walking city. Just because how big it is and how dense it is, you just go through many neighborhoods. Um, But they have these signs in the store windows. And maybe years from now, they'll have plaques. But talking about the history of the neighborhood and maybe that address... So, uh, you know, I took a couple of photos and there was a, f- a photos, a photo of the Ramones on one of these posters. And so I, I zoomed in as I'm walking away, I zoomed in on it to see how sharp the photo was. And it said the Ramones standing in front of CBGB's on Bowery Street. And I go, well, I've heard of CBGB's. Um, good for you. Yeah, good for me. Um, I, I, you know, I, I've heard about the Ramones on CBGBs and I, you just heard about all this, you know, rock and roll stuff happening at this club. So I searched it and lo and behold, it's, it's on my walk. So got to go inside the former CBGBs. It's now a, it's now a fashion store, very high end rock and roll fashion. Okay. Um, so if you think of the outfits that a rock and roll lead singer might have. Um, I saw the stuff and I immediately thought of Lenny Kravitz Mm. and sort of, you know, his fashion sense. And I say, yeah, he probably inspired this or maybe he shops here. Uh, And so that was really neat to go in. I think they had some of the original wall of CBGB. So they had a lot of these stickers throughout the wall. They had a lot of the, the, the designer, John, what's his name? John, v john john varvatos i think had a lot of these gold records framed on walls given to him by record companies when so-and-so band reaches like a million units sold and whatnot so there's a lot of that stuff a lot of instruments they even sold music out of there some some vinyl Hmm. so that was that was very interesting that's very cool yeah and i thought it's interesting because of who we have on our show today Yes. Uh, Mark Howard is, is coming back on the show. Uh, Uber producer and uh, engineer, uh, Mark Howard, to talk about uh, his newest book, uh, which is a really a photo album uh, of the various studios that he's put together for uh, bands over the past, I don't know, 40, 50 years. So we're, we're going to have him on. So it was really interesting being in that place. Uh, it was amazing going into the uh, the Bowery Ballroom, mm-hmm. which which I guess if I were to, you know, people in Toronto where we record this, uh, we're thinking about, you know, local venues. Maybe it's like the Danforth Music Hall. Um, but just a great little venue. Saw the Sheepdogs there. Uh, oh, is that where you saw them? Yeah, yeah, and they just blew me away. Just blew me away. Was it part of what you were 
there for, or did they happen to be playing there and you went and saw them? They just happened to be playing there. Hmm. Uh, and, and both of these places, CBGB's and the Bowery Ballroom, were literally no more than 10 minutes from where I was staying. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Sheepdogs always put on a good show. I've seen them. I saw them do an album release party at... can't remember. the. It was a country bar that actually became Jasper Dandy. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what the name of it was before Jasper Dandy, but I saw them there for a record release party. And then uh, I remember seeing them... It was it was a school night, literally for Cal, a school night. Yeah, and it was during the Junos. Can't remember how many years ago, and it was at the Horseshoe, and it was the Junos party. And oh, I man. think the show started at one a.m. or midnight, wow. something like that. And so it was like a very late school night for Kelly. Back uh, in the days when we could stay up that late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a great show and uh, another fun time I remember, which was in New York City, actually, was um, I was there on business. I believe either Josie saw that I was in New York or Kelly saw that Joel was in New York. Yeah. And they conspired to make sure that we met up. And so I texted Joel because I didn't realize he was in New York, too, at the same time. Uh, being Joel Carrier from from Nine Alone, uh, who has has represented the Sheepdogs, uh, or does represent the Sheepdogs, I believe, still on the label. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, we ended up. I took Lara, who was my uh, not my but our social media person for Flight Center in the U.S. Yeah, and I took her to this after party with the Sheepdogs in New York with Joel. And the funny thing is, all all she could stop the all she could continue to say, say over and over again, uh, and it was after a few drinks, I have to admit that, um, she kept calling them, and this is why I texted you this when you were at the show, yeah. she just kept ta- calling them the tall Jesuses. The tall Jesuses. So, so except, to this for, day, except for one guy. Later, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but generally speaking, right? Yeah, the tall so, yeah, So to this day, they have <laughs> always been known as the tall Jesuses. And when I've seen them again, I always text jurors, as we call her, Lara, uh, to say of seeing the tall Jesuses tonight. They're amazing. I would not hesitate to see them over and over and over again. Yeah, they put they're, on a good show. They're just really, really, really good. Yep. Um, listen, before Mark comes on, uh, and I think we've we've talked about this in passing over the past couple of episodes. Um, and I'll preface it with this. We've always said, or we have said, rec- I guess since this podcast started, that the way musicians are going to make their money is not through streaming, obviously, is live shows. But now we're coming to the point where musicians, bands are finding it difficult to even make live shows work mm-hmm. uh, and friend of the show and past guest alan cross um has written about this um you know there's a variety of factors but really it's there's not with the rising costs of everything globally right now the rise in fuel costs um which impacts everything it's now hard for bands to finish a tour 
in places like the Danforth Music Hall and the Bowery Ballroom and come home and see that they've actually made money mm-hmm. from such a tour. I think, you know, I think, you know, big legacy acts may not have that problem. Um, I don't think, you know, people, if you're, if you're selling out the, the Air Canada Centre or the Scotiabank Arena, you're probably not having that problem, but everyone else, if you're not that type of act. Is having a challenge right now. How are and you now? Not, yeah. It's not getting better. And, and there's a, there's a fear and it's not an original thought. I'm trying to remember no. what band posted it. There's been uh, a couple. There's, there's garbage has talked about garbage. It. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like the fear is we could lose an entire generation of music. Like, yeah. like not just pop and whatever, but like sure. an entire generation of new creative uh artists musicians yeah. yeah it's um and i want to talk to mark about this i want to talk to him about the venues that he's that he's recorded music in and is that viable anymore and we'll ask him a little bit about that anyways yeah former former guest yeah. i was gonna to say to former guest um from flyer vault mm-hmm. uh um also or was was part of a a segment i believe on global news yeah about lee's palace that was really interesting so if anybody gets a chance to go check that out on the flyer vault on instagram yeah um it's a it's a good article he's got a link out to the global article and it's all about just making sure that venues like lee's palace get all the help they can get from the city so that they can continue to thrive or exist yeah and And that and that you know, we figure out collectively as an industry how artists and talent can continue to get to get paid. Yep. Let's move forward with our chat with Mark Howard. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. I'm Mark Howard, uh, and I'm a record producer, a mixer, and uh, a recordist. And so I uh, I consider myself as a guerrilla uh, <laughs> recorder. <laughs> I don't use uh, any of the normal ways that you, people do make rec- recordings. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's who I am, and uh, I like to... Uh, Welcome to the music. Perfect. Right. Welcome, welcome, Mark. Um, I, 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 I'm so excited to have you back on. I remember when we we got together. It was pre-COVID, so I don't know <laughs> when, when 2018, something like that, I think. Yeah, would have been, yeah way back somewhere, then. Somewhere around then we got together last. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember you telling stories about recordings, uh, sessions, and studios, and you know me being the ex-musician, I remember just totally geeking out and having goosebumps listening to it. So um, with the new book, Recording Icons, Creative Spaces, uh, it was so amazing to think back to that convert that 
the conversation that we had. And if anybody's listening to this, please go back and listen to that because we, we dive quite deep into to topics. But uh, it just, again, I've got goosebumps again. Now seeing the pictures um, from those sessions, it's it's to, uh, just amazing. I'm just, I, I was blown away when I went through it. So thank you for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Where, where are you right now, Mark? I am uh, in my friend's attic in uh, Louise in New Orleans, and I'm just kind of gathering up some gear, and I, I've uh, rented a house in Bayou St. John, and I'm ready to start a record uh, in a couple of days uh, with this uh, woman, um, Sh uh, Shannon Williams. So you're still checking out homes and mansions and yeah. spaces, and you're still doing that? I I wanted to ask you about that. Um, you know, today we're hearing about artists, you know, like Billie Eilish, for example, you know, recording yeah. full albums in her bedroom, using yeah. a laptop, using Pro Tools. Um, you talked earlier, I think just before we started recording, you know, you like to do things different. You're, you're, you're a quote unquote, you know, guerrilla recordist. Yeah. Um, why why are you still making music the way you do i i think that i i'm very attracted to working in new spaces and a lot of my uh work is based off of accidental recording you know like you know i'll have like a microphone that's in a hallway and uh, that i recorded a guitar with but then I'd be recording something else and that records the hallway with the sound coming down the hall. And so like these, and that becomes the reverb to the track and, you know, things that are, are not conventional happen in, mm. in situations where if I'm in a recording studio, it's just kind of like drums go here. This is the reverb. So there's, there's no, there's less chance of kind of creating accidents, you know? So right. I, I'm, I'm always interested in, new sounds and trying to make new sounds and being limited to sounds it's it's uh if i go in and i don't have any reverb i'll create a reverb or i'll uh if i don't have a shaker i'll get a wooden box and put stones in it and make it a you know so just kind of unconventional stuff usually comes out uh in these mixes that like strange kind of brews and so i i think uh it's it's been kind of like a highlight of my work that uh, I've always got like stranger sounds going on. Hmm. After, after the success Mark of, uh, of your first book, listen up. Yeah. Um, how did this second book come to be? Um, well, I've been kind of taking photos and collecting photos for the last 30 years. And you know, I've always had photos on my laptop and I'll always show, oh, this is Robert Plant and this is the house where we did it. And then after a while, people are like, dude, you got to make a book. This is incredible. Like you have so many photos. And and so uh, a friend of mine, Misha from New Orleans here, he says, you got to put out a book of all these. This is crazy. And so, so I started to kind of like, uh, no, I've got so many. It's ridiculous. So yeah, I, I kind of like, I built a book myself and... Uh, and then um, I just kind of posted it on, you know, uh, on uh, Instagram. And uh, the guy that, you know, um, picked up my last book, he saw it. He goes, 
I want that book. And so, all right, all right, you can put this book out too. So, oh, wow. So you just sort of made it for yourself. And yeah, I, I got, I just kind of, I did a big format one where I, I, that's kind of, a, I'm a big fan of like Helmut Newton and these kind of like mm-hmm. photographers and they have like beautiful books and they're like big. And so I wanted my to be that like that. And so I, I, you know, I took all my favorite photos and I kind of uh, put them in categories with uh, the the places that I recorded them, the inside interior design, kind of everything I did. And then with the artists making the records in these environments and stuff like that. So, yeah, so it was, uh, it was kind of like um, not accidental, but I always wanted to do it. And so it, it, it happened and it happened pretty quickly. (laughs) So, wow. Yeah. How how did you, how did you like, I'm sure you have a huge amount of photographs and yeah. stuff. So, a a how did you decide what went into the book? And b and the follow up question to that that I wanted to know is uh, like, did you have to vet the photos with the artists or representation, or were you just able to do what you wanted to do? Yeah, I was able to kind of do what I wanted to do, and being able to, um, you know. Uh, have these uh photos available and then uh it was it was difficult to to pick you know i yeah. have so many so yeah. i just went with like the most impressive you know it's like like the photo that's on the cover it's like uh this house in malibu that looks over mm-hmm. the ocean it's got like a three-story high window and it was like pretty amazing it was called raven's eye oh is that with the wooden yeah yeah the framing wooden, yeah wooden frame but you know massive window and, and so uh so I, I made a record in there. It was incredible, and so and it's you know architecturally amazing. The architect and and all that stuff. So uh, so I've always kind of fell into these crazy environments, and it's like I, I had a place in Silver Lake in uh, in Los Angeles, and it was like a 1920s movie star estate, 22 bedrooms with a Olympic size pool, marble line. And I met the woman that owned it. And I said, you know, love to make some records here. And she goes, I'd love that too. And so, <laughs> so you never know what's going on. Like, yeah. Just, yeah, man. don't ask, you don't know. So, yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. So it's, it's been, been quite a voyage. And so I do a thing called um, time-lapse photography. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, um, I'm able to capture uh, these uh, artists in their natural habitat singing without them kind of like feeling like they're being uh, filmed or shot, you know, so it's because the camera's just taking a picture every 30 seconds or so. And uh, so I've got beautiful photos in the book of Neil Young singing, mm-hmm. Robert Plant, like concentrating on writing down his lyrics and, you know, Bob Dylan kind of like, you know, just be kind of hanging out, listening to the playbacks and, you know, so all kinds of different uh um scenes going on in the studio that a lot of people have no clue what's going on in there so i'm kind of like you know showing them here we are this is this is where we made the record these are the people i made the record with and these are the kind of things that happened around it and so like when i was in hawaii i took some really cool photos of like this so, uh, uh surfboard fence that went all the way around the church and then this uh reverend had given me this church it was a surf church and he let his work during the week and so not only is it the the environment i take like the you know where i am in the world you know yeah 
surroundings and stuff so to give you an idea of what it was like to be there and and to work in these places and and what what's outside of the church and stuff like that so or that was fantastic it was a again it's an amazing book so. mark did you have to make a deal with the pastor that you got to use the church monday to saturday but on sunday did you have to attend church was that it was that, part I, of the, that was the deal that was the deal I had, really? to, I had to show up for the the uh his his uh sunday uh um kind of thing that he service that he put on so yeah. but it was cool and he was a really great guy and it was a bunch of surfers there and it was it was kind of uh it, it didn't feel like you know you're being pressured or, to, <laughs> or whatever it was just kind of a fun thing and he just talked regular and you know cool. it was pretty cool i i also did uh i was in uh tahiti and i was recording these tahitian choirs and okay so I had met this guy who was the um, the pastor of this Tahitian choir church, and uh, and he looked like Jesus. <laughs> he didn't speak any English; he's only Latin. And so he welcomed me into the church. <laughs> it was just like it's, uh, to record the, his choir. It was pretty oh, amazing. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. Listen, awesome. Mark. Take 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 us you know behind the scenes. There's a lot of people that listen to this podcast because they're fans of music. Uh, and I think, you know, your previous episode and this episode is going to be a delight to them because it's yeah. almost like inside baseball, right? It's like behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I'm really curious about, um, you know, Greg and I were sort of alluding to it, you know, that the music industry has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious if record companies are still do they still have budgets for so i like the people listening will, will not have seen the face that you made um yeah. but tell me what are record companies saying when you when you go to them it's okay i'm taking your artists we're going like sam roberts we're going down to uh to australia <laughs> and we're going to we're going to make music and the record company says no nah, you're not you're gonna you're gonna be smoking weed and surfing like yeah yeah tell, well, tell me uh, about today what's happening in music well it's it's uh, we we got a whiff of it kind of like uh at the kind of the end of the Neil Young record that we made and Lenoise. So, um it was called Lenoise yeah. and so it was the 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 name is based off of a joke between Daniel Lamois and Neil cuz uh, uh Daniel would always say people pronounce his last name wrong and they call him Lenoise and so Neil thought of Lenoise and so, and then it turned into Le Noise. And then, uh, so, so yeah, so we, that record um, took a long time to make because Neil only works three days before the full moon. So we had to wait for every full moon to come back and record a couple more songs. And so it took six months to make this record. That's and, nuts. And it was meant to be only a uh, acoustic record. And, you know, it was just, and it's just Neil by himself on that record, but, it sounds like a, you know, like a, a huge kind of like um, band almost, you know, the way it was all treated. But there's some beautiful acoustic tracks. But at the end of it, you know, it was six months, and and then you know we had to like you know hand in a bill, and it came to like two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and and then the uh, the managers turned around and said uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. This is an acoustic record. Warner Brothers only pays twenty five thousand dollars. 
for acoustic records or whatever. And so, so it was shocking that, you know, like what the, what it should have cost. We only got like, you know, quarter of what, what he wanted or whatever. So, so yeah, so it was, it was eye opening thinking, Oh shit, if this is, if Neil Young's the biggest guy on the planet and they don't got money to, to, to make records with him, then this could be the end of an era, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, really bizarre. So how is it? How is it now? Are you still having these discussions? Um, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, working for a lot less money for sure. But um, mm. I just, uh, I, I have a way that I can still make money because I do it through, um, uh, I rent Airbnb houses and everybody can stay in them mm. and they're cheap. You know, it's like, you know, if you if if you were to rent the cheapest studio in LA, maybe with a good console and stuff, it's probably going to be five hundred, six hundred dollars a day. You can get an Airbnb, six bedrooms for a lot less than that. Everybody can live there, and you make the record in the house, and uh, it's like half of the, you know, like oh wow, yeah. So oh. it, yeah, so I'm able to kind of like still make money and and still travel the world. So, so. And I remember when we got together last time, um, you also talked about the gear you bring in, like doing it in that in that type of like Airbnb or rental place. Yeah. Um, you, you've got a nimble, I remember you referring to it sort of like a, like a nim, more nimble setup than necessarily this huge monstrous board yeah. in a studio with exactly yeah. sound rooms and everything. Yeah, these days it, it it's it's uh, I'm down to like three road cases that I fly with, and mm. and like uh, here I'll borrow a set of speakers and mic stands and cables because that stuff's too heavy to travel with. So mm. everywhere I go, I just kind of like I'll I'll just borrow that stuff. And uh, you know, I, I started off in like a transport trailer. The tape recorder was the size of a refrigerator. The console <laughs> were as long as the couch. You know, it's like it's like uh, I had rugs and lamps and couches and, you know, it was like crazy big. And there's only me and I was the, doing all that by myself. And I had made record with uh, um, Tom Waits and I backed up the truck to the schoolhouse where we were working. And I was by myself and he was the only guy that's ever helped me unload the truck. Before. Mm, so wow. It was kind of cool, you know, so. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty, pretty great. Yeah. A lot of these places, you, you 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 tell the story, and it's like you're on your motorcycle riding down California or riding down somewhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you're finding all these things on your bike. Uh, tell yeah. me, tell me about you know we did we did a pre-show just before you came on, and uh, Greg and I were talking about New York City, and I you know I was just there and visited the Bowery Ballroom and the old CBGBs. Um, and I talked to him about, you know, when you, when you walk New York city, uh, you've got the opportunity to, to go through so many different types of neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, is there something similar as you're on your bike being in the air, um, and finding these places? Uh, it, it is kind of a, um, uh, an interesting way to do it, but it's it's again. I'm just taking a ride and bumping into these places. I was riding up the coast of uh, up the PCH, and I happened to come 
past Malibu, and then it goes all flat as you go into Oxnard. And mm. so I pulled through, through this little Mexican town, and suddenly there's this theater for rent. I think that could be an interesting place to make a record. And so I, you know, phoned the number on the board and ended up uh, renting this place for like $1,500 a month. And uh, I got to do whatever I wanted with it. And so I took all the seats out, built a big deck in the middle. And, and it became like a home for like five years for making a lot of records, you know, like uh, with uh, Willie Nelson. And I finished uh, Bob Dylan's Time Out of Mind record there and worked with the Chili Peppers there and Marianne Fel Faithful's record I produced there. And so it was like a really great kind of like a uh, place for um well-known musicians to go without uh, anybody bothering them because it was like a little Mexican little village. Yeah, was yeah. this the Teatro Studio, right? Teatro Studio, yeah. Teatro right. Studio. Yeah. Which yeah. was a former porn house? Is that right? uh, An old Mexican porno cinema. And, <laughs> but it was kind of like light porn. It was like, there's like <laughs> kind of like a, a joke, <laughs> not joke, but there's humor in it and it's like just mostly topless and stuff like that. So it wasn't like raunchy porn or anything like that. Yeah. But it was like the main guy, his name was El Macho. And of course so, it was. <laughs> yeah. And so I found all of these posters that were like, you know, all the movies that had played there and they were in all these boxes. And some of them were big posters and some of them were just those like little ones with the photographs on them that you put outside the theater. You can see the what what uh, the scenes were and who was in the movie kind of thing. And so when we were making uh, Dylan's Time Out of Mind record, I was telling him about it. He goes, where are they? I said, they're upstairs. And he said, can you show them to me? I said, yeah. So <laughs> up there, he's on his hands and knees going through all these posters, picking them out because he wanted to use them for like promo for s certain shows and stuff like that. So they would take Ale Macho out and put Bob Dylan. <laughs> you know? cool. That's that's awesome. Um, in that studio, I think... Uh, you, you you left a couple rows of seats. I all right. Yeah. Was that was that was that on the back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was was that on yeah. purpose for listening, or was that uh, just no. people hanging out, or how, what? Well, it was it was it wasn't. Yeah, it was meant to be for people to just kind of like you could sit there if they were yeah. and hang out. But it ended up turning to be the the seats in the back turned out to be uh, guitar stands. But the guitar had, like all these amazing guitars all lined up, basses. Yeah. You know, and then the front front uh, part of the cinema, we left uh, 50 seats down there because there was a stage. So if we want to do performances and have people come in or mm -hmm. uh, that way we could kind of use the stage. And there's a the big silver screen was still there. And I'd gotten uh, six 16 millimeter projectors and I had all these different movies from all different places. And I had a little remote from uh, Home Depot that you could turn your lights on and off on. So I would put those boxes on the projector and I could turn multiple projectors on just by clicking the buttons. And so it was, I had this one movie, it was like a, a, a driver's educational movie of a car driving through the streets of Miami, you know, like the, uh, the uh, driver's perspective. Mm -hmm. But then I had these old black and white movies of like Russian uh, films of like, you know, like this guy's face. And so car would be driving and then this, it would be, uh, superimposed over that this faces would come out of the road and it was just like it was very psychedelic it was it was pretty cool wow. that's awesome <laughs> there's i mean i've been watching for the longest time ever since i guess ever since i got netflix and prime all of these 
you know, movies and documentaries about music and different uh, venues and such. Like a lot of these places that you've been in, Mark, you know, talking about the uh, the Teatro Studio, I'm sure there's tons of, I mean, they should make a movie out of some of these places or some of these experiences that you've had in, in some of these locations. Working on it. <laughs> All right. There oh, you good. Go. <laughs> uh, guy, some guys out of New York, they're really pushing to do this kind of docudrama uh, with me. So uh, you'd be the same kind of thing, be riding around my bike discovering these places and you know bringing people in and uh, it would be it'd be really cool to see it you know absolutely yeah. absolutely that is nice so how many years was that that particular location mark uh the teatro was yeah. five years yeah. and then i had done five years at a place called the paramore that was a movie star estate and then um we did uh i did five years here in new orleans at a place that was called Kingsway, an old kind of like uh, a huge kind of like mansion in the French border. And so that's where we made a bunch of records there too. So yeah, there's a lot, a lot of agree that we kind of like had long five year stints. Yeah. But after that it's just me. I just kind of go in, make a record and get, get out of there and kind of go somewhere else, you know? Yeah. Was that, was that purposely like, not purposely, but like it was five years sort of the, run the place would have because it's interesting you did move around a fair bit from place to place yeah yeah it's uh it it kind of my last stop was the paramore where I, and so um tom waits was the last one that i i had brought through there mm -hmm. and so he didn't want to work there all the time so uh i pulled out of the paramore and then went to northern california and there's a schoolhouse at the end of his kind of road and so it was easy for him just to get up and come over to the schoolhouse and we can make a record that way. So, and then after that, I didn't ever go back to the Paramore. I went to Australia for almost a year with once with Sam Roberts and uh, made a couple other records while I was there. And uh, it's really beautiful in uh, Australia. It was hard for me to come home. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Was yeah. there, you know, was there a particular sound um, or vibe that uh you know before we leave the teatro studio was there something in that studio that when you listen to records that were made there that you could point out and say that sound was because of this hallway or this room or yeah they they, they all have have those little tiny things built in like yeah. new orleans was there was always like a, a pool cue hit you could always hear like somebody playing pool in another room on some of the songs. And then mm. the teatro had this sound that was kind of like um, open air. Everything would just sounded like it had air around it. It was really, mm. it was really a magical place because it had like three story high ceilings and all the curtains were long around it. So it was like you could have a stand up bass player playing, playing bass next to a drummer and you could solo the bass and you wouldn't even hear the drums because it was so dense. And so it's like it's like this tightness that you, you can't really get anywhere else. And so, yeah, so there's there's definitely. Um, and then in New Orleans, uh, we were making a record with the Neville brothers and there's like these cicada bugs outside and and we'd have the windows open and they would be you would hear kind of come up. And and I was working there with uh, Brian Eno would come in to do some uh, to help uh, on the record and. 
So he showed up. He's like the master of this keyboard called the DX7. And so he's kind of like pre-programmed it. And so he's got all these really kind of ambient sounds, but he's got like real strange sounds in it too. So he had this one uh, sound, it was an insect sound, and he would play this melody on the insect sound. And then the bugs outside would repeat his melody. Get and out. I'd say, play something different because that's too weird. And then he plays another another piece and then they would follow him again. So he was communicating with insects. <laughs> it was really strange. Wow. That is so that's neat. Awesome. You know, yeah. you reminded me, Greg and I watch uh, this YouTube channel by uh, Rick Beato. I don't know if you know who um, Rick Beato is. Check him out if you have, whenever you have time. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes he'll talk about uh, today's music is, quote, unquote, too perfect. Yeah. There's none of these. You know, you talked about um, the pool table in the back or the billiards, and you can hear the, the cue hitting the ball. And today, you know, a producer or engineer or mixer would like remove that. Yeah. Um, what What are your thoughts on sort of these, you know, I don't know if, if ambient sound is the right word for it, but sort of these background noises that fill that space. Yeah. I, I feel like they, they contribute to it because it's like it, you, you feel like you're in that kind of location, you know, like, but those those bugs only sound like that here, and the you know in England, Brian Eno would have like birds outside, and that that you could feel like it's English countryside, you know. So there there's all different sounds that kind of happen that that feel unique to those kind of recordings that that happen, and and I leave it all in. I don't I, I I'm I I kind of like love leakage and use it to my benefit. So <laughs> yeah, where every other. Uh, kind of studio or producer they they want everything so isolated and dead so that way uh, i don't know they so that they could you know move stuff around maybe but i love the fact that like if the singer sings the wrong words and then redoes it and then you hear this ghost in the background of of them you could never recreate that you know so it's a most people would would try to get rid of it and i would kind of keep it <laughs> it's a, a strange uh stranger brew you know yeah there's something to be said about even you know musicians playing the wrong note yeah. um that's you know gives the song or the recording like personality yeah you know i remember i remember watching uh oh sorry go ahead yeah yeah it's, you know like it's it's nice to have like a blue note in there that you know just kind of like it's nice but if it's if it's completely the wrong note or something of course and it has to be repaired and so everything else is easily repaired you know because it's you know it masks kind of like a band-aid that you stick over it and so you don't hear it you know it will maybe leak it into the vocal mic and you might get this like weird kind of thing kind of going on but it's uh yeah, yeah you can you can work around it yeah uh, it, it was gonna say was it reminds me of i remember watching uh, i think it's vh1 or one of the anyway i mean it could be mtv but had uh behind the record and it talks to the engineers and the producers about certain albums. And it was with Butch Vig talking about Nevermind. And I remember I made my 20 something year, well, he's probably in his late teens at the time. I made him sit down and watch it with me. And just the, the amount of, mis not the amount of mistakes, but the Butch embraced those mistakes. And, you know, Kurt would get upset about, you know, doing a vocal track over another vocal track that he talked about. And he, he you know, one of the comments he made was, well, Paul McCartney did that. 
and I guess Kurt went off and went, fine then. <laughs> but it was just like, it was amazing the, the, how how Butch built the, 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 um, the, built those mistakes into the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like now listening back to that, that record, um, it's really incredible because like the drum sounds are so super clean on it. And it's like, and then it's just the distorted guitar. And so... And the same thing with like listening to like Pink Floyd records. Now you listen back, you think, wow, they must have been using all these effects. It's actually they're not using very much and no, no reverbs or anything. It's just about their arrangements and stuff like that and how they pick certain instruments to be played like that. So it, it's 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 really cool to look back at, at these records and, and see how they are made, you know, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. for sure. Talk to me about finding the Kingsway studio. What, what sort of venue was that and how did, how did you come about it? Um, well, it's like uh, I got invited. Uh, I was living in Canada. I was like 21. I got invited to come down to New Orleans to make a record with the Neville Brothers. Right. And uh, the Neville Brothers had recorded two songs um, on the record uh, of Bob Dylan's. And Bob Dylan just happened to be in town. And so he invited us to the show. And so we said, yeah, the Neville Brothers did two of your songs. And he said, what's that like? And so we invited him back to the studio. And so that turned into a Bob Dylan record after he heard oh, wow. Eric God on our side. You know, like it was, you know, incredible. And so that was supposed to be the end of our New Orleans time after, uh, after we made the Oh Mercy record with Bob. And then... Uh, this this house came up and I was walking through the French Quarter with this woman that we knew and I said that's a really cool place that'd be a great place to make some records and she goes I know how to get in there like <laughs> it takes me around the backyard and we climb this fence and we go in there and there's a security guard in there she's like Teddy come on over and like she so we go in this house and it's just dilapidated it's like like 20 years of rain coming through broken ceilings and dripped of it was just like a haunted place and cockroaches it was just like disgusting and so uh, uh i told uh daniel amwaba i said it's it's cool but it's too far gone let's get out of here we were about to go to mexico and start making records down there and ended up uh this woman convinced them to buy it wow he bought it was a super big huge house uh like uh, um, probably about 15 bedrooms and big huge parlor room and and so uh so he ended up buying it and i had to again kind of change my course and and i became a renovator and <laughs> i know i'm putting roofs on this house uh shingles and and it's uh and so yeah so that's kind of like how it turned into uh kingsway you know that and it was only meant to be like a, a home studio, like just for private records for us to make, you know, with the artists that we were working with. And then at one point, uh, we kind of moved away from there and ended up on the West Coast. And uh, and then uh, we we opened the doors to other musicians that came through. Blind Melon had come through, and I had made two records with REM in there. And so yeah, so it, it was it was kind of like a. Um, a private thing and then the doors open for you know other musicians to c come in and make some cool records so yeah it was how was it making music with with rem um it was pretty cool because 
I, I helped them on uh, uh, automatic for people. They came in, they came in, I think it was Scott Litt, who was their producer. And so I, I was kind of more or less just kind of helping out and, you know, guiding them through it and all that stuff to, to get the studio, you know, working. So it's like a big, huge open room and there's no isolation. And so they weren't used to that. You know, they're like they're coming from L.A. They're looking for their getting moving blankets and coming in and up and, you know, ruining the sound <laughs> I thought it was. And uh, so so that record had passed and came out. And then they invited me to come work with them, me by myself. And so I had them kind of like a. Uh, no headphones, having the speakers really loud, playing to the speakers, and and you know Michael was laying on the couch and singing, and I go over and give him a, uh, a Sure 58 mic, and and he goes, I can sing while I'm laying on the couch. I said, Yeah, you lay on the floor, do whatever you want. So, <laughs> you know, the, the freedom that I kind of gave them, they really appreciated, and so I think that kind of like, uh, and again, working with kind of sounds where we had like, I, I think it was a mess of boogie or. Some kind of like modern amp but it had this crazy tremolo and i said let's just kind of plug the bass into it to see what it sounds like and so that was like one of the sounds that was on uh, monsters where the bass is going through a tremolo amp and it was got this kind of really cool sound and so th those kind of accidents and so they liked they liked experimenting where i think they made all their other records were very clinically made and and uh the, maybe not as enjoyable as all everybody playing at the same time and not having to wear headphones make it more kind of organic. Hmm. Is there a favorite location, favorite studio that you have? I would say the Teatro was like the, the, the pinnacle of, of greatness. You know, it sounded incredible. It was a great place to work. There's a piano, an organ, drums. Everything's all set up. You go over and play the piano. I'm recording you. There's no setup. You know, it's like you. It's like a. It's a musical playground. You go over to the vibraphones. Bang! It's all all ready to go. Like we're in studios. It's like, oh, I have this idea. I want to try this. Well, you can try it right away. Where in a normal studio, you got to bring out the mics and set it all up. And by then, you've lost your inspiration. And so it was a. Uh, it was pretty cool. And I had a rear PA system in the back. And so I would play the track really loud, like if it was a concert and then edge uh, would play his guitar through like this Vox amp and it was super loud. And so he, you respond to uh, sound pressure when it's loud and the kick drum punch you in the stomach. And it just makes you kind of like feel like you're at a show where if you're in headphones and you're in a booth and it's cold and you're, like, you're not getting the satisfaction out of the headphones and, and how can you be inspired like that? You know, you have to, you have to be kind of pressure um, punched by like large sound. And so I've just made it my thing that I just have a great playback system. So uh, once the bands cut it, they come back and I play it back and it's larger than life. And wow. that's what impresses them quite a bit. And, and then they feel good about themselves, you know, because like, wow, that sounds incredible. We're, we're great. <laughs> as, you're, as you're telling the story, I'm, I'm reminded of that, that album that the Rolling Stones made, XL on Main Street. And I think I watched the documentary of the making of that. And it was just, you know, they're they're in a home. They're in a mansion with a pool oh, in yeah. the back. And yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. People coming in and out. Yeah. Uh, is there is there a place that got away? Was there a place that you wanted to make music in that you just never had the chance to? 
Um, I'm still kind of searching, you know, for places, uh, but um, I, I want to make a record in Miami at Versace's Mansion Villa there. And it's got like this huge pool and a atrium. And I thought that would make a really cool re recording. So I was thinking maybe I, I could do something maybe with Iggy Pop there, seeing as though he lives in Miami. And so there's that. And then there's, you know, maybe a, a castle or two, you know, in south of France or just, you know, something that would be, you know, to top it all off, you know. Wow. So, yeah. So I've recorded in castles in, in uh, uh, Russia. And okay. You know, I had like a a church beside it, and we ended up making the record in the church. But it was uh, the thing about castles; they're cold. So it's like even in the summer, if you're there, it's freezing cold. And so yeah, so it's it's not. It can be uh, a little bit uh, not as comfortable as you think it would be. So yeah. that 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 being said, is is there is there a location that you were at? Maybe a one off, or maybe not. Maybe you did a bunch of stuff there that. The artist just like maybe it's the castle story, but that the artist just didn't like for whatever reason. Uh, I haven't really found that problem yet. I haven't found an artist that didn't like where we were recording. Yeah. So I, every studio I kind of like make for that person, and so you know whether uh, it's psychedelic and I got like lots of kind of like tapestries or. If it's modern, like the one in Malibu, got really cool furniture, and it just you just kind of feel comfortable in that way. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's uh, it's it's a kind of like depending on what the person likes, they want to be in the country, they want to be, you know. I ask them like, where do you want to work? And so I try to, you know, like with Sam Roberts, it was like this whole thing is like, well, it's you know January, we're in Montreal, and. I want to surf. And I said, well, the only place in the planet you can surf where they speak English is uh, in Australia. Uh, I said, my friend lives in Byron Bay. We can go there. And I rented this big church that was a, a Airbnb and everybody stayed there and recorded in the main uh, church room. And it was incredible, except for the uh, the insects and the, uh, the spiders that were the size of my hand and the snakes. And there was like this, uh, they have, instead of kangaroo, it's a, like a little kangaroo and they call them joeys. And so yeah. the little joey would come to the back door, open the door, hop in, open the fridge, take some fruit out of there and hop back out. <laughs> it's like, as long as you didn't like approach him, he was comfortable just to come in the house and help himself. That's hilarious. So, that's that's, that's like, awesome. Uh, but then there was the toilet. And so right behind the toilet was, was a funnel web spider. So you had to get in there and get out, do your business pretty quick. So, but he never, you know, as long as you don't poke at it, you know, it's not going to jump on you. Oh, wow. <laughs> Most dangerous in the world, you know? Yeah. No. And, and I, I spent a lot of time down in Australia. And so the huntsman that you, I know you mentioned the huntsman, yeah. the spiders and they're they like, every, they, they look scary. They're not, but they look scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm not a big fan of I'm not a big fan of snakes. I'm okay with spiders, but uh, I would go down and spend I'd, I'd about two or three trips a year down there. And uh, my buds' kids would would always decorate the guest room up with the spiders and snakes before I arrived. So <laughs> I, I always wanted I always wanted to scare me. It was always a big thing. But it was funny because to your point, we would literally be sitting there at the table outside on their patio where we ate, 
and there was there was a huntsman that was just hanging out in the light up above yeah. and that just it was just there like all right in one of the guys bedrooms and he just stayed there the whole time we were there yeah. like, as long as you don't yeah. bother yeah, exactly again even and again mm-hmm. huntsmen are huntsmen are bad but yeah. but yeah sorry, Go ahead. Going. i was gonna say that 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 actually one of the things that i wanted to touch on the book or or to cover off that I really liked was as much as you focused on, you know, the, the Paramore, the Kingsway and and some of the main studios, I really liked that you spent a section that just talked about like different studios you built around the world. Like you talked about with uh, Sam Roberts, yeah. um, you know, uh, Morocco, like yeah. it, it, it must be amazing to have this opportunity to be able to go and do that in various locations. Yeah. And it's, it's like you get to live, in in these locations and it's it's you get to eat the food that the people eat there you know it's like mm-hmm. and it's like if you're going on vacation you stay at a you know all-inclusive hotel and you eat hamburgers and stuff like that and but you never get to taste the cuisine of of you know of morocco or you know because you know but by doing it this way you have somebody that's you know a cook from there and they cook your food and you get to taste what it really tastes like and and like when you go to Italy, it's like nothing like American pizza or anything. Yeah. That's, like, that's a crazy thing. And so, yeah, so it, it's like you you dive into this whole culture. So you're getting that's leaking into what you're eating is leaking into what you're playing. And it's like it, it's, it becomes like a whole kind of like a um, thing where all these ingredients are are in in. Uh, in in the record you know and i i made a record uh, with this band from canada called tragically hip and heard of them heard of them heard of them, yeah. heard of them. uh they were uh <laughs> they wanted to make a record but they wanted to perform their record live so they they every day we would do uh, a, a live kind of takes of it and so we were two weeks into it and i didn't have any takes what? and they were they were eating pizza and pasta and all these like foods that kind of drain you and so I said, that's it. Uh, we're going to try barbecue. And I started feeding them red meat. We were getting like five takes in a row. And it was like, it was amazing. And so it's like, depending on, you know, what was going on, like, you know, it's, sometimes it's uh, the diet, you know, like, you know, that's interesting. A lot to do with, you know, I would always say uh, the food is the hardest part of making a record, you know, it's like, mm. wow. Uh, like, you don't want to just be, you know, eating foods that are uh, kind of draining to you. So. Uh, Ed, yeah, that's really interesting. I, then, yeah, did you yeah. make those at their Kingston studio or no? It was in New Orleans. They came to New Orleans to okay uh, that record. Okay, okay, yeah, I know that. I know they were down there. That's that's amazing. Yeah, uh, I need to know more about Bella Vista. Okay, um, I'm a huge Neil Young fan. Yeah. Um, so we know three days before before a full moon. Uh, he would record, but tell me, tell me about the location. Uh, it was, um, it's, it's right on the reservoir in, uh, in Silver Lake in Los Angeles. And it kind of became like a workshop for a while for us. And that was me and Daniel Amois. And so we ended up, um, he had been working by himself in his place. I, I hadn't worked with him for a long time. And then he invited me to come in to make a couple of records and, so I kind of like turned his house upside down and I, you know, he had the studio in the basement and it was like a cave and I didn't like it very much. And he's got this beautiful, big, huge room with high ceiling. 
I just brought the Beneath console upstairs and, you know, decked it out with couches and it was like really comfortable. So, uh, and then we, he, he, we'd made a record, uh, a solo record. Well, it was a band record for called Black Dub. And so we had, um, uh, this girl, Trixie Whitley as the singer and, and Dan's kind of like, uh, road band as, uh, as his band. And so, uh, we discovered that if we, filmed each take and then that would be the record so as we're performing it that's the take you're seeing it was like a one camera shot going around the room in black and white and and it was it was kind of cool so every song on the record had had these little videos that are little films that went with them and so uh elliot roberts was dan's manager at the time and he ended up showing uh, neil young uh these these uh, little kind of clips he goes i want to do that and so he ended up, uh, you know, hooking up and, you know, Neil came in and that was the idea is just to make like a beautiful acoustic record and film it. And then it turned into this like, you know, psychedelic kind of like, you know, I'm thinking like, how the hell am I going to better Neil Young sound like this? is like <laughs> incredible. And so I had this playback system with like double 18 inch subwoofers and then a stack of like uh, Dyna audio speakers going on. Uh, too high and it was and the playback was un- unbelievable so i i recorded uh neil playing this acoustic and i had this uh sub harmonizer effect uh that i put on his uh on his uh, acoustic guitar so every time he hit that low note it was like a bass note a boom, and his pant legs would shake and a big smile would come on his face it was like wow i was you like this you know and so and it was weird the way this effect would only track on this guild guitar, acoustic guitar. He tried, he had um, Hank, his guitar called Hank, that was Hank Williams acoustic, and it was a Gibson, but it, it didn't track to this a certain effect that I was using on him. So we ended up using this beautiful old mahogany guild uh, acoustic guitar. And so the effect, every time he hit it, it was just like thunderous, you know? And so uh, we went from that and he said, oh, I want to try the next song uh, on my, uh, he's got this uh, Les Paul, like a 58 or 57 Les Paul gold top that he's painted black. And it's got like a, a um, what's called a Firebird pickup, which is a really hot pickup in the back. And he runs him into like these two twin um, amps, uh, deluxes. And so he plays the guitar and so I, I get everything up to ready to record him. But I accidentally left the uh the sub uh sound uh on there. And so when I turned up the speakers, this guitar sounded like every window in the house started shaking and it was like it was like thunderous. And it's like he was just like, Wow. And so we we discovered this kind of sound on him that he was so excited about. And so I had to go out on tour with him to teach his live guy how to get the sound live. <laughs> so uh, they rented out the Wiltern Cinema, and uh, I got there, and I got like a, uh, you know, I got like a, you know, um, an acoustic style PA, and uh, and it's only got one sub aside. And so I, I told the live guy, his guy that's worked with him for, you know, since nineteen seventy one. I said. I need 16 subs aside to make this work. He goes, it's an acoustic record. That's impossible. <laughs> so I, I told Neil, I said, I don't think they're going to go for it. And 
next day, there's my 16 subs. <laughs> and so we took that on tour and we just rocked every place we were in. It was pretty incredible. One guy with this huge sound. And so, you know, uh, um, when Hitchhiker came on, it was like, Rawr! you know, like, and, uh, and so I jumped off the tour uh, in Buffalo thinking that, you know, the, the guys got it. And I, I got off the bus. I crossed the border, got, got back to Toronto. And sure enough, Neil calls me up. They were in Syracuse. He goes, he don't got it. Get on a plane. Get over here right now. And so he said, <laughs> all right, jump in the car, private jet, to, you know, to the next gig. And so it was like I spent another week on the road with Neil, kind of like, doing these really crazy uh, subsonic shows uh, for Lenoy's uh, record. It was pretty cool. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. So from his Desert Island artist to mine, uh, working with Dave Grohl, same studio, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, so so because it was just um, uh, Neil by himself, you know, we thought, oh, well, maybe it might be good to put uh, drums on Walk With Me, one of the songs mm -hmm. on the track. So we got Dave in and it was his dream to, you know, play with Neil Young. So that was kind of, and so, uh, uh, yeah, he came in and we, we cut a bunch of tracks and we thought that might be like a big single, like, you know, another one of those like, uh, you know, tracks that Neil kind of does. And, but it didn't really go anywhere. It kind of fell flat. I don't know what happened. Maybe it didn't push right or whatever, but it's I it love that song. Yeah, me too. It was it's like so like a, so good. No brainer. Like, what? What? Why? Why isn't it there? It's like you know, rocking in the free world has had that same kind of thing, you know. So it was, mm -hmm. it was, it was pretty cool. So there's a version of that song with drums. Yes. Oh. With oh Dave. man. <laughs> you gotta find it. It's on the internet. I'm sure. Is it really? Wow. Because it's not on the album, is it? No, it's not on the album. This yeah. Happened after, yeah. So, oh wow so, so neil's like he's releasing all of these archive stuff oh yeah yeah i'm wondering if like would neil own that or would that be dave's i'm sure it's in there somewhere uh, i i haven't noticed it yet but uh i think oh that, man i can't there. believe i just dropped a neil young look at that yeah note that he didn't know because normally that doesn't happen Oh right. my! I'm going to go on the message message boards tonight and say there's a yeah. version of "Walk with Me," yeah, that Dave Grohl plays the drums on. Oh my goodness! Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> I, I I can just imagine. I can just imagine. Um, none of these. Have, I yeah, we had to have this kid stand in front of the kick drum because Grohl. We had like this big, huge, bombastic kick drum for him, and this kid had to stand there. It was so loud. And so, because he was just kicking that kick drum so hard, it was like he was pushing it out of the way every time. So, so the drum sounds were pretty, pretty amazing. Too. I can imagine. Wow. That's awesome. Um, it was interesting. I went online and I typed in all of these studio names to see just to see whether or not any of them are around anymore. Um, Paramore Studio is is like a boutique hotel. It's like a fancy upscale place right now but I'm, I'm curious have have you ever returned to any of these locations no no Kingsway. okay this is the i i i did like a um uh what do you call it um a soiree in there a couple of years ago but okay for listen up 
And so it was during Jazz Fest. And so the guy that owns it now let me do a big party in there. That was about the only return that I've okay. ever done. So uh, I've never been back to the Paramore or the Teatro. Or, you know, that, those, uh, that was there, that happened then, and now I'm off to you know, somewhere else, you know? Absolutely. Fair enough. So, um, Mark, one of the questions we'd like to ask as we sort of wrap up our conversation is, um, what are you listening to lately that people should be checking out? Well, it's always the same. Yeah, I get this question a lot. And the thing <laughs> is, I, I'm only listening to the stuff I'm working on. So yeah. uh, I just finished this really great record with this guy, Max Gomez. Uh, did it in uh, this cool beach house in uh, Marina del Rey. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you know, it's a, it, it's hard to say, you know, with records that are out there these days, you know, it's, they're all kind of controlled by the younger kind of kids. And so I'm not necessarily that interested in what they're doing. Sometimes I'll hear something that makes me jealous. Like I'll, I'll hear a bass line that, you know, on a little Wayne record or something <laughs> played, you know, like a doo -doo, boom, boom, boom. And it's like some impressive sound, you know. So it's just the, those kind of things, kind of like can be. Uh, yeah. And I, I, you know, with me, it's either I hate it or it's great, and I still hate it because I wish I would have done it. <laughs> so, <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's uh, plug the book one more time. It's Recording Icons. Yeah. Creative well, spaces, the creative world of Mark. There you go. There's a, there's the uh, the book right there. That's the that's the home. It's Check fantastic. Those... The the pictures yeah. are yeah, unbelievable. They're... The stories are fantastic. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Published by uh, our friends at ECW Press. Yep, yep. Great people. I love them. They they take care of me. It's great. Absolutely. And again, your first book was Listen Up. Yep. Uh, another uh, just a fantastic but I these books sort of go together yeah you know? like, what one is you know this one's sort of the story yeah uh, the stories yeah, yeah, yeah kind of like pulls you in I talk about like the night blue jasmine walking through New Orleans and the swamp moss and yeah. so you're creating the, these these visions for you and now with the new book you get to see that this Absolutely. is the Neville Brothers there's the swamp moss and and you know the stuffed animals in the studio and stuff like that so oh. yeah it's pretty cool can't Absolutely. wait to get that I, yeah i think you did a a party for the release of your first book uh yeah i, yeah, I did um you did something it was a mixture of um you know i i had a bad bout of cancer and i made it through it and so i had party and the book was released and so i had it in hamilton ontario so it was kind of like a book release and yeah kind of like awareness kind of concert and all the all the money went to uh, princess margaret hospital and so there's a doctor there that uh saved my life and nice i feel like uh, i wanted to give back and i did a couple i did another concert in toronto and you know i had uh, sam roberts there and sarah mclaughlin Ian is that Thorpe. the shoe was that the shoe you did that i think no, no, that oh. was at um, what do you call it? What's that round the concert hall there? The oh, geez, I can't even remember the name of it. But yeah, it was like a magnificent night, and oh, so yeah. yeah. So I, I did a really great kind of thing for the hospital again. 
So and then COVID hit, and I I was planning on doing like a you know maybe a, a, a festival or something like that, mm -hmm. and so uh, but everything got all dried up. So so that's my next adventure. Is I'm gonna maybe try to adventure into like a festivals and after going to festivals in uh, Australia, they do it right there. It's like the nobody else knows how to do a festival like them. And wow. you know, they got sky tents there. You can go lay down on pillows if you're tired and there's like all these they, everything's covered, you know, like so you don't get burned from the sun and it just it's kind of a cool, cool way to do a um festival. Oh interesting. I was gonna ask whether there'll be a party for the release of this particular book. I'm trying to work it out right now. So uh, I'll probably do another um Los Angeles Grammy Museum release uh, nice. there, and then uh, you, 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 like you said, you went to CBGBs, and yeah, you, now it's a uh, fashion it's a store. Fashion store, yeah. So, um, and that's uh, um, uh, Vervado, uh, um John Vervado, yeah, um, yeah. So I kind of know him through the Willie Nelson camps and stuff like that. So I was thinking, you know, either doing something there for a listening party or, or yeah. Something. Like that and and then I've been poking up uh, Abbey Road to see if I could do one there and and the Beatles room and all that stuff. So so yeah, awesome. so I'm trying, I'm trying to put it all together. But once it's released in November, then we'll have all these things locked down and uh, nice my little trip, you know. Awesome. And I can, like correspond them along with records that I'm making in these places. So all my flights are all taken care of by the records that I'm making. So it, it works out perfect. So. You do it smart, yeah. Mark, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these days, you got it. There's no money there, and you gotta, you gotta take advantage of where you're at at that time. So, yeah. for sure. Well, yeah. listen, we're gonna have you back on when yeah. this documentary, yes, uh, or this yes. this movie comes out. We're looking forward uh, yeah. to that. If if you need two hacks in the movie, okay. let yeah. us know. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, we need somebody to control the belly dancers. So. Uh, Whatever, what if you, you need a, you need us to move gear? You're not asking Kareem to be a belly dancer, are you? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> well, cool guys, thank you so much for making it easy on me, and uh, I felt like we did a really nice kind of uh, interview, and so I, it would be, uh, I'd be excited to see how everybody else likes it. Absolutely, it. thank Thanks, you, Mark. Mark. Have yourself a great evening. Okay, cool. Thank you. All right, cheers. Bye-bye.